This is the Intego Mac Podcast. The voice of Mac security. For Thursday, November 4th, 2021. This week's Intego Mac Podcast security headlines include Facebook shuts down its facial recognition system, sudden good conscience or urgent damage control. A new attack method can bury bugs invisibly into source code. And Apple's poor patching policies potentially make user security and privacy precarious. Now, here are the hosts of the Intego Mac Podcast, veteran Mac journalist Kirk McElhern and Intego's chief security analyst, Josh Long. Good morning, Josh. How are you today? I'm doing well. How are you, Kirk? I'm doing okay. Another week, another podcast, another palette of interesting security news that we're going to discuss this week. Most of what we're going to talk about is just news this week, except for one article that you've written on the Intego Mac security blog, which we'll get into in the second set after the drum solo. I want to start with something that made me very happy to see that Macroom is reporting Apple privacy features have cost social media companies nearly $10 billion in revenue. And what makes me happy about this is that this is the victory of opt-in over opt-out. Normally, some new feature that's going to harm your privacy and siphon off your data is something you're going to have to choose to not accept. Whereas in this case, Apple's new privacy features, where apps will now ask you if they can track you, is something where you can easily just tap no. You don't have to go searching for every app to turn it off. Every app has to ask you when you turn it on. And this is something that in security and privacy we've long been asking for. Don't turn on features and make users turn them off. Turn them off and allow users to turn them on if they want to, if they want to have their data collected. This also shows how much our data is worth. This is nearly $10 billion, and this is only the second half of 2021. So that's $20 billion a year that our data is worth. Yeah, there's a very different perspective that Apple has from a lot of big tech companies. And of course, this is very good from the marketing point of view, right? <laughs> this is something that they believe that consumers want. So it benefits Apple to be all in in trying to do privacy enhancing and privacy improving features and functionality. And so Apple's perspective on this is simply that, you know, we want to give consumers the benefit of the doubt. We want to assume that they want privacy if they choose to have less privacy to have, you know, more targeted advertising that's fine. We're totally fine with allowing users to make that choice for themselves. And that's the, the distinction between the way that Apple treats privacy and the way a lot of other big tech companies treat privacy. Right. Apple is saying it's a conscious choice on the part of users rather than something that's forced on us. And what I find interesting is that this $10 billion is only for companies. This is Facebook, I won't mention the new name of the company, YouTube, Twitter, and Snap lost nearly $10 billion. And think about smaller companies, and particularly the companies that provide the tracking APIs in apps that are used to sell the data to Facebook. So all these data brokers, all the companies along the sort of data collection chain that are losing money. And I think this is a very good thing. Yeah, I guess it's not good if you um, <clears throat> have a lot of money invested in Facebook and some of these other companies. But I, I mean, yeah, for, from in, in terms of the end user and and how Apple is doing things that benefit us. I, yeah, that, that's absolutely a good thing. Uh, it, it's a good thing to see that these privacy invading companies are going to have to 
change their approach a little bit and decide how they can be more sensitive to users' privacy rather than just trying to go for broke. Okay, in other Facebook news, notice I'm using the term Facebook. <laughs> you really don't like the new name Meta, do you? Meat, yes. Meat, metal, <laughs> whatever. I think it's dumb, but we'll not go into that. Facebook had a facial recognition system and collected data from over a billion users, and they are claiming that they're turning this off and deleting the data. Now, we have to believe them when they say this, but... If this is really true, this is a good thing. The, the facial recognition thing was a sort of, it was in order to tag people in photos on Facebook. And they introduced an expanded facial recognition feature in 2017 with an opt-out option. Mm -hmm. Opt-out, right? Not opt-in. And I think as bad as Facebook has become, this is the kind of thing that they just can't keep doing anymore. I think they've realized they've got to get rid of this kind of stuff that's collecting this much data. I feel like the, the entire reason for the timing of this is that Facebook really felt like it needs a win because right now they're getting beat up left and right, you know, um, between the whistleblower and all the press coverage of it and everything like that. Um, there's, there's a lot that's not looking great for Facebook as a company right now. And so they're like, okay, well, Let's throw you a bone. We weren't really doing all that much with facial recognition anyway, so let's just say we're not going to mess with this anymore. Exactly. Yeah. Maybe it wasn't working as well as they wanted. Maybe it wasn't as efficient as they wanted. So it it's probably the kind of thing they can afford to dump. Yeah. And that's a little bit of a, a cynical perspective on this. And of course, they say this is something that needs to be part of the, the broader community needs to be brought into this discussion. And as we reassess, you know, how to handle these sort of things, not just as a company for us, but in general and so, so to benefit society some way. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> your, your imitation of Mark Zuckerberg just lacks that Botoxy face that he has. Poor, poor Mark Zuckerberg. He's yeah. he's getting. Well, yeah. I think Facebook deserves it from a from strictly a privacy point of view. From all that they've done in distorting the way information is spread and misinformation, and you know, we only see it from our point of view. We don't see what's happened in countries like India and Myanmar, where WhatsApp is the internet and where information has been distorted, leading to, you know, a lot of violence. So we're just seeing it on our side and it's only a tip of the iceberg. Okay. In other news, and, and the Guardian puts this under the rubric U.S. foreign policy, Israeli spyware company NSO Group placed on U.S. blacklist. Now, we've talked about the NSO Group a lot. They're the company that's behind this Pegasus spyware that's been used to infiltrate a lot of very famous people, politicians, activists, journalists, etc., and the Biden administration has put it on a blacklist saying that the company has acted contrary to the foreign policy and national security interests of the U.S. Now, this blacklist means that the NSO group cannot buy anything from the United States like technology without specific licenses, and they can't sell to the United States, including to law enforcement organizations, which is probably how they were making a lot of their money. Right, exactly. And so it's sort of a problem for NSO Group. I mean, because now they're not going to make money from the U.S. They're going to have a harder time getting technology from the U.S. I mean, this basically 
prevents them from being able to legally license a lot of technologies or even get parts that are made in the U.S. Um, you know, so this is it's going to be a little bit of a blow to to NSO Group. Um, you know, that's not to say that they they can't uh, you know license technologies and get components and things that they might need from other countries, but you know. It's definitely true that um, a lot of other countries are going to be looking at the fact that the U.S. has sanctioned NSO Group and are going to, and especially because, you know, we've talked recently about uh, how French ministers and others have been targeted. It's it's many, many government um, uh, officials in many, many countries who have been targeted uh, using the Pegasus spyware. And so I, I think this is definitely a sign that more countries are going to start behaving this way toward the NSO group. By the way, in addition to NSO Group, um, there was one other Israeli company and a Russian company and a Singapore-based company um, that were also sanctioned at the same time. So it's not just NSO Group that's being picked on here, but it is good to see that that this is happening. Okay, so I like clever naming that we often get with malware, and here's one that's being called Trojan Source. Get it? Trojan Source. Academic researchers have released details about a new attack method they call Trojan Source that allows injecting vulnerabilities into the source code of a software project in a way that human reviewers can't detect. Does this mean it's invisible source code? I mean, what's going on here? (laughs) What's really clever about this, this actually leverages something that we've talked about before, homoglyph attacks. Homoglyph attacks. You remember we've talked about this in in the context of URLs in a browser, because different browsers render a web address differently. Um, depending on whether there are special char- characters like Cyrillic um, characters that might be lookalike characters to the standard Roman alphabet, right? And so um, one of the things that's proposed by these researchers is that it's possible that there may be surreptitious you know, modifications to code that leverage some of these homoglyphs, these lookalike characters. And also another thing that they talk about is bidirectional text. So there's an actual invisible character that when inserted flips the order of the text because there are some languages like, for example, Hebrew and Arabic that are right to left languages rather than left to right. And so there's actually an invisible character that will flip the order in which all preceding characters follow. And so uh, once that character is inserted, then characters that are typed after that, even if they're in, you know, Roman, uh, you know, uh, characters, they'll show up in the opposite order they'll start going to the left rather than going to the right. How is it possible that there are invisible characters in a text editor? I would expect that that wouldn't be possible, regardless of what's what, what's available in Unicode, etc. I would think a text editor where you're writing code would have to be able to show everything. Well, there are text editors that have the, the functionality to show invisible characters. Um, and uh, of course... You know, hopefully, if you're if you're writing code, you you want to know if there are any invisible characters because honestly, they could mess things up, right? If you accidentally maybe you paste code from a web page, um, and 
you you didn't know that there was some you know special character that shouldn't have been there or maybe an extra space spaces usually don't matter all that much but maybe there's some other character that's kind of just embedded in there that you didn't realize was there so it is a good idea if you're writing code to be careful about where you copy and paste your code from and in fact this is one of the theoretical things that someone could do is they could put a code snippet on a website and, and you know, make it look like this is legit code. Um, and a developer goes and says, oh, yeah, hey, that looks good. That's the code I need. And they copy that from the Web page. They paste it into their project. And now perhaps they've pasted some tainted code. Tainted Code. That was a song in the 80s, wasn't it? Tainted Code. By Soft Cell. Okay, don't say, no singing, no singing. Um, this is a proof of concept. This isn't something that's being used in the wild, right? This is just some security researchers with extra time on their hands that figured out something that someone could do. Right. We don't know of anybody who's actually using this in the wild right now. But yeah, this is an academic paper. And uh, it's it's good to be thinking about things like this, though, because, you know, if if you are a developer, um, you should be careful about where you're copying and pasting, you know, source code from. So uh, definitely something to think about, especially if you're writing code. Okay, we're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk about Apple's poor patching policies and more. Protecting your online security and privacy has never been more important than it is today. Intego has been proudly protecting Mac users since 1997, and our latest Mac protection suite includes the tools you need to stay protected. Intego's Mac Premium Bundle X9 includes Virus Barrier, the world's best Mac anti-malware protection. Net Barrier for powerful inbound and outbound firewall security. Personal Backup will keep your important files safe from ransomware. And much more to help protect, secure, and organize your Mac. Best of all, it's compatible with macOS Monterey and the latest Apple Silicon Macs. Download the free trial of Mac Premium Bundle X9 from Intego.com today. When you're ready to buy, Intego Mac Podcast listeners can get a special discount by using the link in this episode's show notes at podcast.intego.com. That's podcast.intego.com. And click on this episode to find the special discount link exclusively for Intego Mac Podcast listeners. Intego, world-class protection and utility software for Mac users, made by the Mac security experts. Okay, the U.S. Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency, security twice in there, they need to get a better name. How about the acronym CISA, 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 CISA? They established a public catalog of vulnerabilities known to be exploited in the wild. And I find this really interesting because there's two things. One is that they're actually doing this database, this catalog, and this is really important. But the second is that they're requiring that U.S. federal agencies patch affected systems within specific timeframes and deadlines. So I think by November 17 or May 3rd, depending on the vulnerabilities. This raises a couple of questions. I'm going to talk about this a little bit more in a, in a minute. And we talked about recently about your N-1 and N-2 operating systems and when they're patched and the fact that some older operating systems aren't patched. And we know that big companies and government institutions may be running very old operating systems. Does this mean that they're all going to have to upgrade all their devices? Well, okay. So... First of all, like the, the, they break this down into a couple of different dates and, and they say that any vulnerability that's known to have been actively exploited in the wild 
um, that has a CVE number with 2021 in it. If that's the the year that the that this vulnerability was published, um, then all of those to date. So anything from January 1st all the way to now, those have to be patched by November 17th, which is two weeks away. <laughs> um, what they also say is that anything with an older CVE year doesn't have to be patched until May 3rd of next year. So basically what they're saying is prioritize patching all the things that have recently been exploited in the wild. And then you can wait a little longer if you need to, to patch older vulnerabilities. Now, the reason that this might seem kind of backwards is that, well, first of all, some of these things are brand new. Like we've just recently, even in Apple products, had vulnerabilities where we know that, you know, they have been reported to have been exploited in the wild. Um, and yet some of those things that may have just come out weeks ago have to be patched now by two weeks from now. Um, there's a lot of other kind of weird things with this list. W one thing is, of course, with Apple software, we know that anything that's like a CVE number of like 2020 or older, these are things that are going to be patched by just by running the latest operating system. So if you've got the latest version of Mac OS or iOS, you're going to have all of the 2020, 2018. I noticed in this list, there's actually some vulnerabilities from 2018 um, Apple vulnerabilities. I'm like, well, <laughs> in order to patch the 2021 vulnerabilities by two weeks from now, you're necessarily going to have patched all the 2018 vulnerabilities. So what's even the point of listing them at all, let alone giving a May 3rd date? Because that just really doesn't make any sense. Yeah, I find this a bit confusing. And as you say, we should worry more about the ones that are exploited in the wild more recently because they haven't been mitigated across various operating systems. And, and there, are, there are mitigations that could be in Apple software, in open source software that's used in Apple operating systems, in hardware, et cetera. But saying that you have to patch, you have two weeks now to patch the most recent ones, but you can wait until next year for the older ones is a bit surprising. We're going to talk about this in a minute, the difference between, for example, iOS 14 and iOS 15, macOS, Mojave, Big Sur, Monterey, and all. It seems kind of interesting that there is a difference between the two. Maybe there's a reason we don't understand. What I do find interesting is that they have developed this database, which currently has 306 vulnerabilities. Presumably, they're going to be updating this in real time as this goes forward, as they find new ones. Is that correct? Yeah, I, I assume so, yeah. It, it does seem like that's that's their plan, is to keep this a, an, a fully updated database. And then... Presumably, of course, they'll add new due dates once uh, additional vulnerabilities get discovered. Um, by the way, one other thing that I noticed just skimming through this list, um, Flash Player, Adobe, <laughs> Adobe Flash Player <laughs> is on this list. And um, they actually point out a vulnerability that was used in the wild in 2018. And they say, as far as the, when this must be patched, it must be patched by May 3rd, 2022. And they, and they say that you must apply updates per vendor instructions. Now, um, maybe they're a little confused, but Flash has not been updated since December 2020, 
and it will never be updated again. So I'm not really sure what updates they think that the vendor wants them to install. Like if you're using Flash Player on a government system, get it the heck off. Like, <laughs> why are you still using Flash Player? Well, are they assuming that someone may be running Windows 95 with Flash Player for some reason? Because someone coded back in 1996 something in Flash Player and they don't want to have to recode it. My goodness. I, I certainly hope not. See, th th that's one of the really odd things with this list is like, they're, they're like, you've got to patch all the things, you know, that happened this year urgently. But anything older than that, which probably doesn't apply anymore if you're running the latest software because you've already patched it. Um those you can wait on. It, it's just, it's very odd. And and the, the fact that they even have Flash Player listed in here and tell you to apply updates per vendor instructions just shows that they don't really even seem to know what they're doing. I'm glad that they've put this list together. I mean, it, th there is some informative stuff in here. Uh, and, you know, and because I happen to look into Apple vulnerabilities a lot. I'm familiar with those. Um, but, and there's a lot of these that I'm just not familiar with because they're, you know, in all sorts of different systems. Um, so it's good to have all of this, you know, put in one place. Um, I'm just a little bit puzzled by some of the specifics that they include in this list. So if, if you work for a company that hasn't been patching things, I'd say probably more important than looking through this list would just be to keep your stuff up to date. I mean, that's, it seems kind of obvious, but... Wasn't it Vladimir Putin who still used Windows 95? <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. And, and maybe had a special version that was kept up to date. And, and another thing that I read recently was that the guy who wrote the screenplay for the Dune movie wrote it in DOS. Oh, yeah. On some really old text editor system because it works for him and he didn't want to change. Wow. And while I can appreciate the nostalgic feeling of writing on a, an old CRT with green characters on a black background that burn in if you don't turn it off. The idea of not taking advantage of modern technologies surprises me a little. You know, I, I think it's, it's fine. Hey, if you want to use an older system, that's awesome. Just probably don't browse the yeah, internet. Yeah, keep it air-gapped. So get, yeah, your, get exactly. your Dune screenplay off it on a floppy disk and then put it into something else. <laughs> yeah, don't don't have that whatever ancient machine co connected to the internet in any way. So, is this the first time that a government agency has created a catalog of known exploited vulnerabilities? Because this, in and of itself, seems like a very big step, right? Well, so there there is also the the CVE um, main database, which is run by the MITRE Corporation, and CVE is actually sponsored by the U.S. Department of Homeland Security and CISA. So um, they have like a very like comprehensive list of like all of these CVEs. They have they have the master database of CVEs, right? But but the difference here is that this is things known to be exploited in the wild, right. so much more dangerous. Right, right. And, and I think that's the idea behind this new list is let's, let's show here are the things that are probably the most urgent priority simply because we know people out there, the bad guys, know how to exploit these things. Okay, just as a quick aside, in fact, this isn't in the show notes, but while you talk, I sometimes scroll through Twitter to see if we have any breaking news. And Apple's Craig Federighi says sideloading on iPhone would open the floodgates to malware. Maybe we can talk about this next week. Yeah, uh, sure. Yeah, we'll, I'll, I'll add that to the notes. Um, we, we should talk about sideloading. 
<laughs> it's definitely a problem for Android, and uh, it would probably be a problem for iOS as well. Okay, so last week we talked about this little spreadsheet that you set up to show the different operating systems and what had been updated in the latest salvo of updates from Apple. And you have a very interesting article on the Intego Mac security blog entitled, and I'm going to try to do this without messing up the tongue twisteritis here. Apple's poor patching policies potentially make users' security and privacy precarious. I did that on the first take. Nice, nice. Very well done. <laughs> you did that on purpose, just because you knew I was going to have to read that, right? That's exactly right, yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, well, yeah, I, I got a little carried away maybe with the alliteration there, but I thought, you know, poor patching policies. I got I to gotta add some more P's in here because it's just fun, right? Anyway, the article actually is pretty serious. You know, and it kind of explored some of the research that I did for uh, for the talk that I gave a little over a month ago at Objective by the Sea, um, where, you know, as we've discussed many times, we, we talked about how the current version of Mac OS gets all the patches, right? Anything that is actively exploited definitely gets patched in the current operating system, uh, along with a lot of other things that just unfortunately don't get patched necessarily for the two previous operating systems. So while Apple kind of has a general policy of patching three operating systems at a time on the Mac, they really only patch everything for the current operating system. So what I talk about in this article is um, some of the things that I talked about in, in the talk, um, some of the concerns that people might have in, in looking through these lists and not really understanding why certain things didn't get patched for certain operating systems. But another thing that I've done just over the past week is um, I wanted to see, you know, to what degree this also impacts iOS. And, and I also updated my research as well. Now that we have the new macOS Monterey, um, we can compare with, you know, what's getting, what's gotten patched so far in Monterey versus Big Sur and Catalina. So kind of continuing this research forward with the new N, the new current operating system being Monterey. Now, Big Sur is N minus one, now Catalina is N minus two, and Mojave is not getting anything anymore. And so it's pretty much the same thing you might expect. I, I found that, um, you know, comparing side by side these vulnerability numbers, um, you can definitely see that there's a lot of stuff that just has not been patched for the two previous operating systems on the Mac. Um, now, of course, there's always caveats whenever you're looking at raw numbers like this, because it is certainly possible that some of these vulnerabilities maybe didn't affect older operating systems. Maybe these are things that even were found during the Monterey beta. And so Apple is listing them here as something that was patched in macOS 12.0.1. Um, but there are other things that we can be pretty certain did apply to and do still apply to previous operating systems that are just not getting patched. Um, for example, we have WebKit vulnerabilities um, that, you know, Apple eventually, a couple days later, after they released all the updates at the beginning of, of the week, um, midweek, they released a Safari update. And that patched five of the seven WebKit vulnerabilities that were patched in Monterey. But there's still two that didn't get patched which is kind of odd. But moving on from that, so I also wanted to look at iOS. So um, now we have a fresh, brand new operating system. iOS 15 has been out for a little over a month. 
And so we've got 15, we've got a couple of minor updates in between, and we've got 15.1 that have all come out. And this is particularly interesting because for the first time, Apple will still be providing some updates to the previous operating system, which is iOS 14. Yeah, that's exactly right. And, and as we've talked about on this show, by the way, we have some new information regarding one of the things that we've brought up a couple of times. So remember how we said that iOS 14.8, which came out right before 15 came out, um, 14.8 listed in its release notes that it patched a vulnerability that had been actively exploited in the wild by the Pegasus spyware. And uh, this was not mentioned at all in the iOS 15 release notes. And so we were kind of puzzled about this and trying to figure this out. So I did a side-by-side -side comparison and um, it turns out like most of the vulnerabilities that are listed in the release notes for 14.8 are also listed in the, in the release notes for 15, but that Pegasus vulnerability was not one of them. And so I actually, I got fed up of waiting for Apple to respond. And, and now that we've gone through several different versions of iOS 15 and still have no mention of this vulnerability at all in any of the iOS 15 release notes, um, I reached out to a couple of researchers who have done a lot of uh, deep dive, you know, research into these, into that particular vulnerability. And they both confirmed that iOS 15 is safe from that vulnerability it's not a, it's not impacted and so this is one of those things that it's it's very frustrating because now we have an example that's been documented confirmed where apple has actually patched something but didn't include it in the release notes but why would they do that why wouldn't they want to have the release notes and, and the, the the vulnerabilities patched as complete as possible to reassure people exactly yeah so it's so strange like there's not i can't think of any good reason why apple would have left this one out especially because this was an actively exploited vulnerability you would think they would want to encourage people who look at these release notes to to want to update to ios 15 we've been talking for over a month about like, well, gosh, maybe iOS 15 is still vulnerable um, to that, you know, Pegasus exploited vulnerability. So um, now we finally have an answer, but we didn't get it from Apple. And it's still not to this day. It's still not in the release notes from anything in iOS 15. So um, I talk about a lot of things that Apple could be doing better uh, in in this article, so I recommend you check that out. Um, if you're if you're curious about how things play out between one macOS version versus another and iOS version versus another, definitely read this article because there's a lot of really interesting stuff in here. Okay, that's enough for this week. Next week we'll be back with some more interesting security news. Until then, Josh, stay secure. All right, stay secure. Thanks for listening to the Intego Mac Podcast, the voice of Mac security, with your hosts, Kirk McElhern and Josh Long. To get every weekly episode, be sure to follow us in Apple Podcasts or subscribe in your favorite podcast app. And if you can, leave a rating, a like, or a review. Links to topics and information mentioned in the podcast can be found in the show notes for the episode at podcast.intego.com. The Intego website is also where to find details on the full line of Intego security and utility software, intego.com.